want to invite you to uh, take your Bibles again and turn to 1 Peter. I think it's about page 1200 if you use the Bibles in the seats there. And uh, I thought I'd put a disclaimer on this morning's message. I'm not sure that uh, anybody's going to really like this message this morning. Uh, but it's such an important truth that I hope nobody misses the point. Uh, last week, uh, we saw that Peter was urging us to praise our God, to eulogize, you remember the word was eulogize, or to brag on God, because God has caused us to be born again into this living hope, uh, the opposite of a dying hope. So many of our hopes are dying, right, in this world, but this is a living hope that God has called us into, and then not only that, but he's secured this inheritance for us, and offers his protection to make sure that we don't lose it you know, along the way. And it's all part of this great salvation that Peter says is ready to be revealed, you know, in the last time. And who wouldn't brag on a God uh, once they understand all that God has done for us? And so the next thing that Peter says in this passage of scripture seems pretty logical. He says, you know, in all of this, you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. The, the background of the Christian life is one of joy. When you focus on what God has done and what he's promised and what our future is and so forth, you can't help but begin to experience a a, a supernatural kind of joy. This tremendous joy in being a Christian. And joy, the Bible says, is one of the nine marks of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. You know, in Galatians, Paul talks about nine different qualities that will show up in your life if the Holy Spirit moves in. And one of them is joy. It's the second one, love, joy, peace, patience, and all those kinds of things. So the joy is the background, I think, or the backdrop of the Christian's life. And uh, what God gives us in Christ, when that becomes our identity, it brings with it great joy. And so joy, I want to say, that far exceeds uh, the joy that a little gold guy named Oscar could ever bring into your life. If you watch the Oscars last Sunday night, you know, and you're thinking about how excited these people are about their performances and so forth, uh, we've been given the ultimate gift, the only begotten son of the living God, worth far more than gold. And, uh, you know, so the background of the Christian life is tremendous joy. But now look at the next part of this verse. All right, verse 6. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6. In this, all of this stuff that God has done for us, we greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Talk about living in the tension. Our lives are lived with one end of our spring hooked into tremendous joy, and the other end of our spring hooked into suffering and grief. And we live in the tension that that creates. And uh, I want to just encourage you to stick with me through this, because I think this is a uniquely Christian phenomenon, that God would have us live out in the face of everybody else in our lives, so that they might see that in the midst of the pain and suffering and trials of life, there is a supernatural joy that creates this background that enables us 
to keep our balance or to live in the tension, as I like to say. It's a uniquely Christian phenomenon. Peter is telling us that you can get to the place in your life where you can rejoice even in the midst of going through various kinds of trials. And uh, it seems like this is an either-or, but I want to suggest it's a both-and. And so let me just ask you a question this morning. Just stop and ask this question. You know, Do you have any trials in your life? You got anything going on that you would call you know, a trial? Because Peter says uh, the trials, they come, there's all kinds of trials, all different kinds of trials. And so I, I would say to you that, first of all, you know, the most obvious kind of trials are physical, right? Health, people have health trials. Um, financial trials, job trials, death trials. But sometimes our trials are emotional. And uh, sometimes our dreams die. Sometimes losses happen. Sometimes loneliness sets in or anger or guilt and so forth. Some trials are social. Other people mess with us. Other people hurt us. Other people diss us or abandon us and, and so forth. And sometimes, you know, our, our divorce happens and relationships break and families create tensions and so forth. Sometimes our trials are intellectual. Sometimes we're frustrated by the limits of our own IQ. Aren't you? I mean, I am. Like, yeah, I wish I could just be a little bit smarter so I could get this. You know, sometimes I think our our trials come uh, in in terms of misunderstandings or we have these intellectual questions that plague us that maybe we can't answer. Uh, Think Job. Job's like got this stuff going on in his life, trials going on. He can't quite figure out why is this happening to me? And so there's this intellectual battle going on. Sometimes our trials are spiritual. And uh, sometimes, you know, uh, we have like a tip of the iceberg kind of spirituality, and then some trial comes, and it's deeper than our tip of the iceberg spirituality, and we got nothing. We come up empty. We're like, what happened to my faith? And uh, maybe we find ourselves doubting God, or rather than depending upon Him, or maybe God is pushing us in some direction, and, and we're refusing to surrender. Maybe you're supposed to forgive somebody, and you just won't do it. Or love somebody, but instead you just withdraw. There's all kinds of trials, Peter says, associated with this life. And so, you know, do you have a trial going on? If you don't have any trials, right, you can call the church office. And I will give you some. Okay, actually, my wife says I'm quite good at it, creating trials for people. But I can supply you some. See, but here's the thing. As Christians, we have so much going on for us that we still experience a supernatural kind of joy in spite of our trials. And Peter isn't the only one who thinks like this. James, you're right. If you go back in your Bible a page or so, you'll come to James chapter 1. James is audacious in the way he says this. James is, you know, he's like over the top. Listen to this. Verse 2 of uh, chapter 1 of James, consider it pure joy. Consider it. Now think about your trial. Think about what you're going through. And I want you to consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. James, what are you smoking? And look what he says. Consider it joy, pure joy, when you get a trial because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. 
You cannot grow up without trials. A trial is an opportunity to grow up and develop your faith. Consider it pure joy, James says. Because here you got an opportunity to grow in your faith, to mature in your faith. And I just think, you know, this is a uniquely Christian phenomenon. It's an opportunity. Here's the question. How valuable do you consider your faith? How valuable is your faith? And when a trial comes your way and you recognize it, oh, here's an opportunity to develop more faith, do you get excited? Do you say, well, this is the most valuable commodity I have going on in my life, my faith. And here's an opportunity for it to develop muscle. This is exciting. Or do you do everything you can to worm out of it and say, you know what? We had a stack of prayer requests from the connection cards about that thick last week. And I'm praying through these connection cards and I'm saying to myself, wow, our whole congregation is looking to worm out of every trial that's coming our way. Ask God to please deliver me from this and please fix that one and please get rid of this and that and the other thing. And we should. But when God says no to that, we better be ready to say, hey, here's an opportunity for my faith to get a real shot in the arm. Uh, Here's a chance to show off my faith and, and in the process to develop perseverance because without perseverance, I just can't grow up. There's nothing worse than an adult who's still a child. You have some people in your life, and they're adults, but they refuse to take responsibility. They keep acting like they're 16. You know, that's obnoxious. Well, the same thing's true in the Christian life. We start out by being born into Christianity, and then we're supposed to grow. And James is saying, man, get psyched when you have an opportunity to get a shot in the arm for your faith. And uh, not only him, but Paul has a few things to say about suffering, too. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, again, Paul is saying the same thing as Peter here. He's saying, he says, we have this treasure. I mean, we have this great joy because we've inherited this great treasure. And he says in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, but we have this treasure in these jars of clay. We have this great spiritual life, but it's inside our bodies. These jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The world looks at us, and we're frail, and we're weak, and we're wanting to get out of this and all this. But inside of us, there's something that's unique. There's this joy. There's this power. There's this presence of God and God's Spirit in the midst of the trial. And people are like, notice this. And Paul says this in verse 8. He says, look, we're hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. (laughs) Paul. Hey, hey, we're perplexed, you know, but we're not in despair. Yeah, we're confused, we don't understand, but you know, we're not giving up because we've got something that you don't have. Uh, we're, we're persecuted, but you know what? We're not abandoned. God is monitoring our lives and he's allowing us to take some hits, but it's not willy-nilly. It's not just, you know, without God, some, some reason for it and so forth. Uh, we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We take hits, but we're not out. You know, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our bodies. You ever hit a trial and say, this is killing me. This is killing me. That's exactly right. That's what you want to have happen. You die so that more of the life of Christ can be manifested. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. 
You hit a try, you say, this is going to kill me. You're like, all right, yes, that's what you want. Make room for more of the life of Christ to bubble up to the surface. Verse 11, for we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. What does that mean? It means that before you can have the resurrection, you have to have the death. Before you can have the new life, you have to get rid of the old life. And we who are believers are always being given over to this death so that the life of Christ might actually be manifest in us. Look at how he goes on here, verse 16. He says, therefore, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart because the Spirit of God lives in our heart. And I love this. Though outwardly we're wasting away. Anybody over 50 understands that verse, right? You know, when you're 16, you're like, what does that mean? But when you're 50, you're like, I get it. Outwardly, we're wasting away. Inwardly, we're being renewed day by day by day by day by day. There's a part of us that's getting better with age, and there's a part of us that's getting weaker with age. And Paul is like, you know, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. No wonder we get excited when we have a trial. There's a, a, a glory about us that's coming to the surface. You know, uh, there's a glory. There's a, this is going to look good someday in eternity that I made this call in the midst of this trial. And God is building into me a glory that far outweighs my trials. So how do we live, he says. So, so we fix our eyes not on what's seen. We fix our eyes, we focus not on what's seen, but what's unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what's unseen is eternal. Isn't that the truth? So the world is watching us. We're taking hits left and right. These trials of all different kinds are coming our way. And we're psyched because there's an opportunity, number one, to develop our faith. And number two, to show the world, to show off the the presence of God that lives within us. Far outweighs our troubles. Do you believe that's true? Is what you have in Christ far outweigh all the trouble that you have in your life. That's what the Bible is telling us is possible for us to live with. And uh, Jesus, you know, trial on the cross was a horrible thing. But today, when we look at Jesus dying on the cross, we say, that was a glorious thing, that God took all of our sins on himself. And it makes Jesus look very glorious. Who wouldn't love our Savior if they understood what he did? And believed him. And uh, I, I just think it's, it's so uh, different than the world in which we live. Uh, God is doing the same thing in our lives through our trials that he did in Jesus' life. He's achieving a glory that far outweighs all of our problems. And then if you just go back a page or so in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, here's another reason God allows trials into our lives. And this is one you kind of have to ask the question, is that okay with me? Suppose God puts a trial in your life because he intends to use it in somebody else's life. Right? It says in um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God. Now, God, you're telling me that you set me up with a trial, so that I can experience your comfort, so that I can be equipped and prepared to help somebody that you have in my future. And I have to ask the question, is that okay with me? Ask Job. 
Ask Job. You say, to, you know, the story of Job, but we have our men's Bible study on Thursday morning, still 6 o'clock Thursday mornings. We're studying the book of Job. And you say, well, why did this all happen to Job? Well, one of the reasons is so that a group of guys in Fairfield County in 2013 can sit down and learn the ways of God. Is that okay with you, Job, if I put you through this so that these guys could have a book written that they could read and understand me? Is that okay with you? Because sometimes there's no rhyme or reason to the trials that come our way, except that God is maybe setting us up to use us for his purposes in the future and comforting us in a, in a, with a reality that he wants us to give to the next person when the time comes. Is that okay with us? Or another place, in Romans chapter 5, uh, you're probably familiar, but again, it's the same theme. And I'm just trying to point out that this is a theme in the Bible, not just Peter, but in Romans chapter 5, of course. And uh, in verse 1, he says, you know, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have this great rejoicing, this hope, this living hope, Peter calls it, born again into this living hope. We have this great hope. That's the first thing. Not only that, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Paul, starting to sound like James. What are you talking about? We rejoice in our sufferings because we know. We don't hope. We don't guess. But we know that suffering produces perseverance. Same thing, James. How do you know that suffering produces perseverance? I think three ways. Number one, God says so. You know it because that's what God is saying to us in the Bible. You know it because, like we just came from that communion table, the suffering of Jesus, right, has produced a joy in us that this great salvation that we have is ours, and it's through his suffering. Suffering produces this great joy. And we know it from personal experience. The things that we have suffered are the things that press us closest to God. Isn't that true? When you think about gains that you've made spiritually, most of them you'll recognize come through times of trial and testing, through hard times. That's when we're pressed to draw from God more than we had to when everything was great. And so Paul says, look, you know, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Somebody said this, I couldn't find who said this quote, but somebody said it like this. They said, you can live 40 days without food. You can live about three days without water. You can live about eight minutes without air, but you can't live one second without hope. I like that quote. You've got to have hope. Otherwise, the trials will bury you. Otherwise, the trials will do you in. You've got to have hope. And, and Paul says, look, rejoice in your trials because it's in the trials that hope comes forward. It produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. You know how that works? It's because you know what you're made out of. And when your character develops, you know that God's in your life because you know it's not you. You're way better than you were. Because <laughs> when your character comes into being, when you start to become full of love and joy and peace and patience, you know it's the spirit of God because it's not you. You had a chance to try to develop all that stuff before you became a Christian. How'd it go? It just doesn't show up. You can try hard, but it doesn't work. But when the spirit of God gets in your life and all of a sudden you're becoming a more loving person. 
You are becoming a more joyful person in spite of the trials. You are becoming more patient, more loving, more, you know, all of those things start to develop. You say to yourself, I'm starting to get a character. <laughs> it's got to be God, because I know it's not me. And that begins to produce hope that God is actually in my life. In Hebrews chapter 6, uh, the Bible says that hope is the anchor of our souls. The anchor of our souls. And I would say you're in good shape when your anchor is stronger than your storm. But if a storm comes up and your anchor lets go, be thankful that God has given you an opportunity to develop your faith before it's too late. And uh, exposing the fact that what you thought perhaps was a strong faith isn't strong enough, and the storm is the only way to know that. And so what else do we need to know about trials? Let's go back to uh, 1 Peter, uh, because there's just a lot of, uh, I think, nuggets in this passage as Peter reveals them. So the first thing I think Peter says is, listen, trials come in all varieties. There's a lot, you know, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of trials. But then notice second, Peter says they come for just a little while. Verse 6, he says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief of, uh, because of all kinds of trials. For a little while. And uh, I think this is a matter of perspective. You know, our time of testing or trials is short. Uh, one phrase that uh, pops up in the Bible a lot is this, it came to pass. And oftentimes I think, oh, I am so glad that didn't come to stay. <laughs> Right? Because all, every, almost everything in the Bible comes to pass. The world in which we live is passing away, the Bible says. The kingdom of God lasts. But the world in which we live is passing away. And so Peter says, you know, our trials in perspective are short. And if you think in your own experience, your own history, think of some trials that you've had in the past and you've gotten through them. And from this perspective looking back, they weren't too long, they were short, and uh, you got through, and not only that, but I think, you know, um, if, you, um, if you had a trial that you had to live with the majority of your lifetime, still, tell yourself the truth, this life is comparatively short compared to eternity. Now, I understand that when you're in the midst of the trial, it doesn't feel like that, it doesn't seem like that, it seems like it's lasting forever. But Peter is saying, listen, keep perspective. Tell yourself the truth. We have a ladies' Bible study meets here on Tuesday mornings called Joy in the Morning, right? But that's not the whole quote. Uh, that comes from Psalm 30 where it says, weeping lasts for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And uh, so keep perspective, I think Peter is saying, that, yeah, we're in these trials, and, and when we're in them, they seem like they're going on forever, but tell yourself the truth. And, and, you know, sometimes our trials, I think, are so intense, they can obscure the truth, right? And uh, that's, that's what happens to us. And uh, uh, here's a, a, another uh, promise from God in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and, and uh, I'm going to ask for this to be put up on the screen, and I want to read it together because this is one of those verses that's worth memorizing. This is one of those truths in the scriptures that when you're going through a trial or a temptation, and a, tempta a, a temptation is just a trial with Satan's name on, you know, as, as the author. And so let's read this together. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. 
But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Do you believe that verse? Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that God will not put you in a situation that's beyond what you can bear and that whatever that situation is, God will provide for you a way out? A way out by faith. So when you get into some trial and your faith doesn't show up and you push the default button and you go back to the way you were before you were a Christian, you can know there's a defect in your faith. And, and why is God allowing that to happen? It's for your benefit. God already knows. It's for your benefit so that you can know that there's a hole in your faith. And, uh, and, why, and that's why I think Peter says, you know, we can rejoice in these trials. This is a great verse to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And then look at what else Peter says here in, um, in this verse. Uh, and, and this is interesting. Notice the phrase. He says, um, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer. You may have had to suffer. The idea is um, it was necessary that if there is a trial in your life, God has orchestrated it because you need it. Now, some people's lives seem to have more trials than others. Would you agree? I mean, some people, their plate is just full. And I think, why is that? Why isn't it all evenly distributed? Distributed. And um, the sense of this in Peter's phrase there is, if it needs be, if it's necessary. And so there's not always a need to suffer. And some of our suffering we create by maybe not cooperating with God. Um, And some people have a greater need than others for trials. I think the Apostle Paul suffered more than Peter. You know, if you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, there's like a catalog of all the trials that came into Paul's life. But if you read it carefully, you'll see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul is talking about all the great things that have happened in his life from God. The activity of God in Paul's life has been so great. The background of Paul's relationship with God is so rich and so full. And then he talks about all these trials that he's had. But his background is so rich and full that in verse 7 of chapter 12, the apostle Paul says, look, to keep me from being conceited because of these surpassing great revelations that God gave to me. He put a thorn in my flesh. Paul had such rich revelation from God that God knew that if he didn't do something to Paul because Paul had such great insight into God, carried up into the third heaven, you know, Jesus coming down, appearing to him on the Damascus road, the whole thing, he had such great insight that the Lord knew that if he didn't have this trial, this thorn in his side, he'd have a tendency to be conceited. He had so much going for him. And so this is a great you know, passage, right? To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations that was given to me, a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. That's what we should do. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power, my power is made perfect in your weaknesses. And so, basically, Paul is saying, you know what? I embraced the pain. I asked for it to be delivered. The Lord said, no, 
So I embrace the pain and embracing the pain, not denying the pain, not running from the pain, but in embracing the pain, I found the power of God sufficient for me to be able to live with the trial that he, he sent to me. And therefore, look what he says. He says, you know, God said to him, my power is made perfect in weakness. And therefore, Paul says, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. I'm going to embrace the pain. And that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, because when I'm weak, that's when I'm the strongest. I say this is a uniquely Christian phenomenon. This is the way that God has called us to live. And these trials or temptations come to us, you know. And by the way, temptations are permitted by God, but God never tempts us with evil. James talks about this in James chapter 1. But... um, I'm captivated by this uh, phrase that uh, Peter uses when he says, um, you know, these trials, if necessary. So I'm greatly comforted to know if a trial's in my life, my God thinks it's necessary. It's not just happening with no reason behind it. It's necessary according to God's plan for my life. And I think that's uh, a great comfort. And the Apostle Paul here, you know, I I think that... um, Sometimes, if, if you take a picture, like, like if you were to um, take out your iPhone, okay, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and take a picture of the Apostle Paul when he's experiencing this thorn in his flesh. If you were to take a picture of the Apostle Paul, you would have the background of his life, all these marvelous things that God has built into his life. And then in the foreground of that picture, you would have Paul preoccupied with that thorn. You ever grab a rose bush the wrong way and you get a thorn? You know, you're totally preoccupied with the thorn. But if you were to take a picture of Paul, you'd see, well, there's this huge background. The backdrop of this whole passage of Scripture is because of how many great things God has done for the Apostle Paul. But when we get the thorn, the truth of the background is usually obscured. And all we can think about is, please get rid of the thorn. And when we're in the midst of a trial, it's easy for us to lose perspective, be obscured by the pain, And forget the background to the picture of this great salvation, this living hope, this inheritance, this power from God to see that he'll carry us all the way through and and so forth. Another, uh, I think, observation from Peter here is that these trials um, do produce grief and suffering. He says, you know, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Um. Trials do produce grief, and they do cause us to suffer. The word there is actually heaviness, heaviness. They create a heaviness in our life. They create a pain. They create a distress. The the joy we have doesn't negate us from being human or acknowledging our grief and our trials. God isn't asking us to paint a smile on our face and go through life as if nothing hurts. Trials hurt. They cause us to suffer grief. They they, they hurt, you know, they don't negate us uh, being real and being human. And we're not called to live a life of pretense or pretending, you know. And sometimes life really, really hurts. But it's in embracing that pain that we find this power that comes from God that does all these wonderful things, that develops our faith and so forth. And the power's from God. It's not from us. Paul prays three times to deliver this thorn from him. And God says no. And so Paul embraces the pain. It gives God the credit. It's happening so that the life of Christ could be revealed 
And uh, how many times do these trials cause us to say, you know, this is killing me. But yeah, that's what it's supposed to do. Because it's in embracing that death that the life of Christ has a chance to rise within us. And so you have a trial in your life that you would say, yeah, this is killing me, you know. But now uh, well, let's quickly move on to verse 7 because this is the crux of the whole thing. That uh, This was all a setup for verse 7. Um, and I think this is the most important part of uh, what Peter says here in these two verses. Uh, what's the overarching reason for trials in our lives? And verse 7 says this, These trials have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, so that your faith may be proved genuine. Now, let's just think for a moment about this, right? That your faith can be proved genuine. What's the opposite of genuine? False? A knockoff? Right? I had a friend one time wanted to give me a Rolex watch. And uh, I said, is it real? I said, no, but it looks real. Nobody will know. I said, I would have a problem if people did know and think it's real. You know? What would you rather have? A phony watch or the, I don't know, 12 grand that it costs? You know? And so when it comes to your faith, the, the, the very last thing you would ever want to do is check out of this life with a phony faith. The last thing you would ever want to do is leave this life and die with a faith that you thought was real, but it was a knockoff. It was phony. You got it from someplace other than God. And I'm here to say this morning, the only way that you can know whether your faith is genuine or not is if it shows up in a trial or it doesn't. There's no other way to know if you got the real deal then when the trials come and your faith is either there or it's not. And when it's not, it's God giving you an opportunity before you die to grab a hold of the real deal. Because the very last thing you want to do is check out of this life with some kind of faith that's a phony, that's a knockoff. And the only way you can know it is when trials come up. God already knows if your faith is genuine. It's you and I that need to know. God knows. God's not sending the trial so that he can, you know, tell us. It's a test for us to know whether or not our faith is real. And uh, trials are for our benefit so that we can know. And I love this. God says that your faith is more precious than gold. And you have to ask yourself the question, if you could have a pile of faith or a pile of gold today, which would you choose? And if your faith grows and develops muscle and weight and, and, and genuineness through trials, why wouldn't you welcome them and say, bring them on? So that your faith, which is more precious than gold, any amount of gold, could be developed and strengthened. And this is a, I think this is a great picture. You know, gold is refined by fire. Right? You take ore from the ground, you put it over fire, and you heat it up, heat it up, heat it up, and all the alloys, all the non-gold floats to the top because gold's the heaviest. And so all the alloys come to the top, and I'm told that in ancient times they would heat the gold, and the alloys would come to the top, and they would just scrape it off, and they'd scrape it off, and they'd just keep heating it, heating it, heating it, until the refiner 
could look in that crucible of gold and see his face clearly. And then he would say, this is pure gold. And I can't get out of my head this picture of Jesus looking down on us and letting us boil in some trial to get the dross to come to the top, to get rid of it so that he can see his face developed in our life so that the life of Christ might fill us and make us pure. And there's only one way that that can happen, and it's when the gold is refined, and it's refined through fire, through testing, through trials. And so they come our way, and the dross floats to the top, and the refiner brushes it away and looks for the image of his face to show up clearly in our lives. What picture of Jesus looking to reproduce his life in ours, getting rid of the dross, coming into a purer faith which will result in our glory for all of eternity. Trials are used by God to expose things like this, our willfulness, our refusal to surrender to God, our selfishness, our stinginess, our refusal to live by grace, our insecurities, our small g gods, which we put before God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the worthless idols that we still cling to, the false ideas that we haven't surrendered to the truth. The purpose for the pain is to turn our lives into something better than pure gold, something better than somebody named Oscar, something better than our performance. But the reality of the presence of the living God taking up residence in our life to turn us into genuine believers who will never perish. How important is your faith to you? How valuable is it? And how excited do you get when it grows? And then Peter says at the end here, he says, through all of this trials and and so forth that come and and, um, our, our refining goes on, that at the end, it will result in praise, glory, and honor. And I think that goes both ways. You and I will give praise and glory and honor to God, and God will give praise and honor and glory to us. Well done, good and faithful servants. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father, again, we uh, are so thankful for your word. And I think of Peter here writing these words, and I think of how Peter started out and what he learned along the way and the wisdom that's uh, in these two verses about our trials. And Father, we all have trials. We all have these things that we wish were different. We all, I think the older we get, the more heaven looks so great to us because all of these trials will be behind us. And we'll be able to live the way you created us to live. We'll be able to trust one another. We'll be able to know truth. We'll be able to recognize falsehood. We'll be no more tears, no pain, no death, no separation. Everything will be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those qualities that right now you're in the process of building into us so that we're qualified to live in heaven someday. And so, Father, even though this seems so counterintuitive, I pray that you would help us to be those uniquely Christian people who are able in the midst of the tough stuff that you send our way to find that supernatural joy that sustains us, that hope, and that ability to continue to love and to be faithful to you in spite of whatever trial you send our way so that you can be glorified in us. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.